and I started just cutting fibers off of the stem of marabou into a big jug. And then I threw some of our solar flash, which is a straight uh, ice dub, into it, and I blended it. And I remember calling Brandon. I said, you got to get down to the shop now. And so that started zero G where we were doing a lot more marabou full length to a little bit of flash. Larry Larson on the beginning of zero G. We're traveling to Pocatello and the Snake River today on Travel. Welcome to Traveled, where it's all about the journey we are all on in fly fishing and in life. This is our chance to take a deep dive into a specific area around the country so you have a better feel for the people, the resources, and the community that make this part of the country so unique. Before we jump into it this week, I want to share some love with our traveled sponsor. This podcast is powered by Swing Outdoors and the Wet Fly Swing Podcast. Head over to wetflyswing.com slash Teton right now if you get a chance and you can check out all the hotels, lodges, uh, businesses that you can support and support this podcast in one easy click. This week, Larry Larson from snakeriverfly.com is here and uh, he's here to break out some good stuff here. We've got a a little uh, insider look into a really cool tailwater fishery that's not quite as well known as the section upstream. He's got some really amazing fly tying materials that we talk about and what I call cult following around fly tying materials and uh, and just some amazing fishing. Time to experience the road less traveled. Let's jump into the Basalt Canyon of the Snake River and find out if bass, carp, or big giant trout are the biggest traction. Here we go. Larry Larson from snakeriverfly.com. How you doing, Larry? Doing good, Dave. Thanks for having us on. Appreciate it. Yeah, yeah. Thanks for uh, coming on here. We uh, like most of our episodes now. We listen to our well, we listen to our listeners, and most of our guests come from them now. And we've had a, a, a few people that have reached out to us and said, "Hey, you got to get Larry on the podcast," and <laughs> and so that's why we're here. You got a good following of your own, right? So that's always uh, a good thing. Yeah, I agree, man. It's you know we have <laughs> yeah. to love our customers for sure. Exactly. Well, you're in a cool area. We've been talking a lot. It's been good because the Snake River has been a hot topic as of late. We're going to be heading out there later this year, heading over to like the South Fork. But uh, I think you're in a little different section. So we're going to talk about that. Maybe we'll dig in. I'm not quite sure all the areas you guys cover at your fly shop, but you guys have quite a bit going. So let's, before we jump into the shop and kind of where you guys are fishing, let's just take it back to yourself, how you first got into fly fishing, and then we'll jump into the fly shop. Sure, you bet. Yeah. Well, well, you know, I grew up in Idaho Falls, which is is basically just downstream of the confluence of the Henry's Fork and the uh, South Fork of the Snake uh, in Idaho Falls. And and I lived there and and started fishing at a pretty young age, um, tying flies at a really, you know, pretty much, I think I tied flies before I maybe even casted a fly rod. Um, We had a a uh, macrame shop in my house. My mom was the macrame lady in Idaho Falls and a ceramic shop. And you know, turns out having a craft shop in your basement was pretty good for, you know, free, if you will, uh, fly tying materials. But, you know, we grew up on the South Fork. It was 25 minutes to the east. And then the Henry's Fork, which was only, in a, you know, 30 minutes up to uh, the lower Henry's Fork or, um, you know, 75 miles or so up to Island Park where the ranch in the box and all that kind of stuff are so uh lived in idaho falls uh, until the early 90s and uh, came to pocatello to go to school met a redheaded girl from twin falls idaho and we've been here ever since there you go um so 
like little Pocatello town. And, you know, it's funny, our fishery down here was kind of unknown to me because, you know, I guided up on the South Fork for a bunch of years, you know, maybe 20, I don't know, hard to, hard to remember. Uh-huh, you're right. But so I would spend my fishing seasons up there, you know, and, and lived right here. So I think in 2008, our first kid was born. And in 2010, I, I quit guiding up on the South Fork of the Snake and uh, came home and, gosh, finally started getting to fish around, you know, my hometown. And, and it's pretty funny. I remember one of the first times I fished uh, over on the Snake, our buddy Carter Andrews, you know, of fishing family. He used to be our head guide at the Lodge at Palisades Creek. Fished with me and he goes, now, where do you live? In, in location to this river and i'm like see it up on that hill that's my house he's like you're an idiot and I'm like, well carter man i've been on i've been living in a trailer on the south fork for you know 20 years so anyway our <laughs> fishery down in this neck of the woods the main snake after the confluence of the henry's in the south fork becomes known as the main snake and um it you know takes on some different characteristics it's a little flatter not as steep um agriculture driven so um you got to pay attention to to you know there's times of the year when it's really big and then there's times of the year when it's it's really small and it comes um south of idaho falls and makes a turn to the west about 15 miles uh, i guess north of pocatello so we're located in pocatello in old town and we have a 4500 square foot uh retail area um you know, on Main Street, which is pretty cool. There you go, on Main Street. And this is the Snake River Fly. Yeah, yeah, this is the shop. And so, you know, while I was guiding, I was packaging and doing some materials and, and you know, selling some flies to the lodge and stuff like that. We even had a short stint in, uh, I think, 2008, uh, got involved with the boat builder and opened a little shop in Swan Valley. And that didn't end up going well. Uh, he wasn't real responsible with funding and stuff like that. So anyway, um, but we've always kind of been in the game of producing or coming up with some new fly tie materials, you know, as a tire. Oh, gotcha. As a tire, you always, you can, really can't create anything new unless you got something new to do yeah. it with. But it was a good testing ground where we live now. So I've kind of fallen into this fishery. Um, that is less known, doesn't have, you know, maybe the glory, um, the romance of the Henry Spork and the South Fork. Definitely doesn't have the amount of fish per mile, but the quality of the fishing and and the lack of crowds is a bonus. And we have some really quality fish associated with uh, this lower river. That's a good summary. And, and this is one of those things where, I mean, I definitely didn't plan this. That's what's cool about this. It seems like we've just been working our way up from the headwaters of the Henry's Fork and, you know, and down river. And this just happened to fall in line. We just had, um, you know, Trout Hunter on, John Steele. He told the story of the Henry's Fork, right? And I mean, it's a pretty, it's it's amazing that you're here because I didn't even, like I said, didn't plan this, but it's the perfect fit because he took us through that part of the region. And now you're here to talk about basically the next section. And what is, so where does the South Fork, and for those that didn't hear that episode, where does the South Fork and the Henry's Fork, where do they, uh, what town are they near where they, um, the confluence? So they really kind of come together right in a little community called Manan, Idaho, um, 
which is just uh, downstream, which would be west of uh, the highway between Rigby, Idaho and Rexburg, Idaho. Oh, Rexburg. Yeah. Yeah. And they join and it's kind of, you know, yep. if you're not familiar with Southeastern Idaho, it's kind of unique. You know, if you look on the, the U S map, you see a big smiley face in the middle of Idaho and, and we're kind of at the left bottom of that smiley face. And that, that big smiley face is created by, you know, the uh, snake river. And it's, where it comes together, there's a lot of ancient hot spots. So you have a lot of buttes, which are dormant volcanoes. And they kind of they kind of draw a straight line up to Yellowstone. And when it hits that Manan area right there, it flattens out a lot. There's a very large cottonwood um, forest. I think, gosh, don't quote me on this, but it's the second or the first largest living organism in the North America because of all the cottonwoods that are connected together down there. So it's a huge cottonwood canopy down there. It's really, it's really cool. All right. And, but the river does flatten and turn a little bit more industrial at Manan. And it has some spring influence because of those hot spots. runs to the uh, West a bit and then starts running South through the town of Idaho falls. Right through Idaho falls. That's right. And so good. And then it comes down through Idaho Falls and pretty much follows, yeah, the, the highway, right? 15 yep. kind of down until into where you go into the American Falls Reservoir, right? Which is just west of Pocatello. Yeah, exactly. You know, there's a town called Blackfoot, Idaho, in between Idaho Falls and Pocatello, which is about 50 miles. And, and just south of that, along the Fort Hall uh, Reservation, it kind of peels off a little bit and, and goes into that really large shallow um reservoir that's pretty much designed you know 100 percent to to grow potatoes mm, that's right we're still in potato country. i mean pretty much that's idaho right it's all that potato is. country yeah. yep yep so you know that whole river uh all through there is you know big barley and and more recently and but traditionally all potato country there you go so and where is the section i mean what are if you just say the reach that you guys are fishing mostly what is that area well, the famous, well, I can't say famous, but um, the stretch is probably most popular um, in the last, you know, half dozen years or so has been below American Falls, where it definitely turns west. And in American Falls is where the dam is uh, for that large reservoir. And what happens over there is um, during the summer months, it may run as high as 25,000 cubic feet per second. Um, it's basically used for irrigation um, down there, and it holds fish, but it's really hard to fish at that level. And then what happens is as the harvest season ends over here, the growing season ends, and maybe mid-October, that 25,000 will eventually trickle down to less than 1,000 cubic feet per Oh, wow. There and so early on... Um, I would say, you know, 10 years ago, I was fortunate enough to have somebody take me down there. But what would happen is our general fishing season would end October 31st. And so you'd only have two weeks to go down there and maybe fish this amazing tell water that was finally small enough to, to fly fish. And a really great thing happened seven or eight years ago. Um, the mayor of the town of American Falls 
was also a fly fisherman. Oh, cool. And, and he had been a school teacher and he had taught fly fishing and fly tying at the high school. And when he became mayor, he pushed for a catch and release artificial only season from October um, or from October 31st or November 1st uh, through until the next Memorial Day. And that opened up that fishery in the winter and made it accessible. Right. So now you have the, even in the winter when it's, I'm not sure what it's like there. I know in uh, Victor, it was like 10 degrees. What, what's it looking like there today? You know, we're finally starting to see just a little bit of reprieve from this beautiful long winter. Yeah. Um, it's probably 35 here today. Oh, nice. Nice. You know, yeah, we saw some sun. We're getting down to 15 at night. Yeah. Or so. Gotcha. Gotcha. So basically that's it. So this is, is this your typical tailwater where throughout the whole winter, you've got the temperatures are just right. You can fish the whole season all winter. Pretty dang good. I mean, in the coldest months, when we start seeing sub-zero stuff, you know, we start getting some surface ice and stuff like that. And, you know, I'm sure if you fished, <laughs> you're talking Victor, you know, you know about ice and the guides and, and how many fly rods break in really cold weather. So you know, we'll get a couple weeks of uh, where not many folks are fishing, but you can count on an angler group or some anglers down there pretty much, you know, every day of the year now. Nice. Yeah. This is good. Well, we're going to dig more into, I want to dig into the, the, you know, what you guys do on kind of the daily fishing out there, but I want to go back to that boat builder. I'm always interested, you know, with the boats, we had a season we did on drift boats. What was that? Take us back. It sounds like you had some sort of a business around boat building or how that? No, uh... no, not. So I, I was involved with the person, um, I won't say his name because there's probably legal issues, but sure. it was a company <laughs> that had built um foam boats in the mid 2000s um that was from that area and he built um foam boats with uh linex or bed liner oh and by foam you mean just like a plastic like um what, what do you mean like foam? like so there's a really imagine the foam you know like the chrome covered foam that you would put on a house for insulation that type of thing under siding this was a really high grade marine grade foam and so what you would do is you could cut the parts out of the boat and then you could basically glue them together with spray foam. And then he would cover them with Linex, you know, and it's long enough now you can say that, you know, the company was Freestone. Um, and they really actually had a product. Some of the other guides um, that I guided with for a long time, we enjoyed the boat. I mean, it, it really, it was pretty innovative and it was the wide boat with a rounded shine and you what well, that was the problem it wasn't so oh, it wasn't <laughs> i i saw some guy talking about i think it was from somewhere in montana but they were they were down on uh the, the aluminum boats they're like hey man you got to have a boat up here you can beat up so no, no aluminum right it's got to be all the fiberglass right right yeah i definitely have uh friends over on the missouri and stuff and it's you know they still uh, gary wayne uh, is a cousin of my wife's that has montana fly goods in helena and big sky expeditions and you know i asked them when i first started fishing over there i'm like why are you guys running aluminum and they're like you'll see <laughs> but anyway but the boat never ended up being that durable and um you know doing business is tough you got you got to answer all your commitments and i'll just leave it at that yeah gotcha Nice. So, so that's it. And then, so tell me about the fly shop. So maybe, uh, you know, when did this idea of the fly shop come to be? Well, it was more, it was, it was kind of a funny long story is, is I was kind of doing a little bit like a lot of folks are now 
um, you know, while I was guiding, you know, I was doing in the off season, I would tie some commercial stuff for lodges and, and my deal as a guide, I was always more of a fly tire, I guess, if I describe myself, than a real hardcore guide. And, you know, and I guided with some of the best I've met. Um, and they were better at, at rowing the boat and getting it in position and all that kind of stuff and probably better anglers. But I understood the flies a lot better. And I always tried to bring, uh, you know, my own stuff to from the hobby background, um, you know, tried to tie my own stuff and do my own thing. And so that, that worked pretty well, a pretty good following. You know, we used to guide the one fly contest um, at Jackson Hole, and that really accentuated, you know, the need to have flies that everybody wasn't throwing. You know, any pressure fishery for sure, and most of them are pressured nowadays, fish get to see that stuff and so that's where it spawned from and so the fly shop you know uh when i did quit guiding i i actually opened a small shop behind my house <laughs> you know and converted uh, a pole barn and put a little deal in it and, and whatnot i was selling some materials and whatnot but the opportunity to buy this shop came up um 20s probably 2014 but we hung out for a little bit and waited until it was right and we bought in the fall of 2016 and the first thing we knew is that our community down here isn't known for fly fishing like you know even victor nowadays or bozeman or or sun valley and so we knew that that we needed to sell tying materials and we probably needed to do it online and we needed to stand out so we really just kind of went down that path um, of a lot of stuff I'd done. I'd already done, uh, done laminated foams because it tied better cherubs. Um, and it already made plenty of, a, you know, weird dubbing, dubbing blends. And the thing that I took from the old macrame shop was there was a product out there that, that we carried at our house, the, the macrame yarn, that was like 100% polypropylene and then maybe even treated with stuff that it was like pretty flammable. And so it made, when you combed it out, it made this awesome synthetic wing. And so, you know, as a, as a, I guided on rivers that had a lot of stoneflies. And so we started using that as a wing material. And, you know, there's a couple companies out there commercially that, that we source it to as well, but that kind of started it. And so when, when we, got this big shop we you know started blending our own dubbings and and i had already sourced you know like the leather for our bullwhip worm which was a real nice soft leather that was dyed all the way through and and so that started bringing us some more traffic some more business some more um you know clout i guess if you will with tires because they're pretty critical people you know and anyway so now we're at the point that I think we have, I don't know, we'd have to ask Brandon, 20, 25 products online, a couple on Amazon. There you go. We have a retail, full retail shop, you know, with all the standard stuff, flies, rods, all that stuff, teach some classes and um, that kind of stuff. But we're probably most proud and always moving on on, on the tying aspect, the material aspect. 
Yeah. So the materials, that's awesome. And that is a nice little different spin on it. You guys have your own unique stuff. And I know Brandon, um, you know, the, the person, I can't remember exactly who it was that, that I talked to last, but they definitely gave a shout out to Brandon too and said he's, I think it's Brandon into, um, is it, uh, is it the carp or what, what's Brandon's specialty? Brandon loves fishing the carp, man. Yeah, carp. You know, it's amazing. So when I met Brandon, I've, uh, taught a class at isu through our outdoor program through the pe department i don't know for almost two decades now um a pretty good little program you know and they can take that aspect of it to work towards their outdoor recreation degree but brandon took my fly tying class a beginning fly tying class and i remember watching watching him in the back you know it'd be like man this guy's he already knows how to tie this fly and anyway towards the end of the course um he says one day, he says, you mind if I just tie some stuff that I'm like using to go fish tomorrow? I was like, no, oh, you bet. You know, you've already got an A. You're doing great. And I go back and he's doing, you know, this was shoot seven, eight years ago. And he's whipping up these complex twists and, you know, articulated stuff. And I'm like, oh, that's right up my alley. And, <laughs> and then he showed me some of his bucktail stuff. And I'm like, you need to come down to the shop and talk to me. And anyway, that's how we stumbled into. There you go. And he's just a fantastic dude. You know, he's half my age, but he's got his dad's my age. And, uh, you know, they've been fishing since he was a little dude and tying flies. In fact, he used to tie flies up on the uh, Salmon River when he was in sixth and seventh grade and sell them to the North Fork shop for steelhead and stuff. Oh, yeah. But he's just a super good dude. and, And, you know, he's starting to learn to fish. Yeah, that's it. So, and this is just, this, this is just my own curiosity. I always love hearing a, a steelhead fact. So how far are you guys from, from where you're at? Where do you have to go to get to some steelhead? I know, I know the runs haven't been great overall in the Northwest, but you got a little bit of a drive. Right. You know, I mean, we have two opportunities. Well, kind of really three, I guess. Um, we're in Southeastern Idaho. So if you look at the map, like I said, we're kind of there in the, the smiley face, but if you go, we're about, I don't know, an hour north of the border above Salt Lake. Um, and so to go get to Steelhead, um, your closest is going to be Chalice, Idaho, which is, you know, probably about 60, 70 miles downstream from the beginning of the Salmon River in Stanley, or, you know, out of Redfish oh, Lake. Oh, Stanley, okay. Yeah. But, but we do, we have Steelhead that come all the way inland and come up the Salmon River, which is uh, the longest undammed river, I think, in the U.S., Oh, right. So they come up the salmon. That's right. Nice. Yeah. And so they come 900 miles. Um, but our numbers are looking better this year. We oh, good. had a customer in right before we did the podcast this evening that just got back from the Clearwater, which is way north in the state. And they, they hooked some fish in the last four or five days. So, and then there's some fish as well on the, on the lower snake. The lower snake. So do you guys consider yourself where you are? You're still, I mean, it's just, you're below the confluence. So this is still, yeah, I mean, obviously this is Eastern Idaho. This is still all upper snake. I mean, what is the, if you look at the snake, like what is the next zone? Do you go downstream where things change? Well, and so we kind of skipped that zone. We talked about below the dam. Um, Below there, um, it goes down into Minidoka. You got about 30 miles of river that really kind of resembles a large um, prairie lake. But it's moving, and that's you know really our smallmouth habitat. Oh, okay, is this like east of Twin Falls or in that area? Yeah, it would be east of Twin Falls. Um, 
you know, um, I think you lose the river somewhere around Burley. It kind of Burley. a little turn and you don't see it for a while. Yeah. But we also uh, fish that water in between, you know, up above our large reservoir, American Falls. We fish that in between Blackfoot, if you will, I guess, and, and Idaho Falls. And, you know, and there's a couple sections in there. Like I said, you're not seeing numbers per mile like you're seeing on the henry spork in the mm-hmm. south park but there is an opportunity down there to get some quality fish quality fish and some big uh, trout right you guys have some big trout in there we do anything kind of associated with that reservoir for some reason um really produces big fish i mean so you know a three-year fish in a lot of river systems might be you know three three and a half four pounds they might be five to six pounds here um you know typically below american falls dam for sure just because they're concentrated down there but it's a really good sampling of the overall area um you know if 16 inches is your bottom end and you know 28 inches is possible all right wow so 20 yeah these are and these are rainbows these are just fish that are basically just lots of food because of the lake system or yeah yeah you know we have a lot of agriculture influence so everything kind of grows bigger around here deer have big antlers and (laughs) and you know i mean you'll see caddis flying around that look to be 14s but when you look at the the larva like you know uh some of the free living caddis they look to be almost tens you know, so it really does. It produces pretty good sized stuff. Our midges are still standard. Cool. Yeah, this is great. Now I knew this was going to be a good one because there's like you know the the topics, right? We got big trout, we've got smallmouth, we got carp. Maybe we can just go through a, a quick little kind of um, year in review of what you guys do. Are you fishing pretty much year round? Maybe we can just start right now. It's we're going into you know it's March. What's it look like right now and over the next few months now? Well, you know, given some better weather. Of course. Yeah. Um, you know, I'm I'm 50, so I don't go out when it's real cold. But but right now we're starting to trickle into some rainbow spawning time. Um, midge fishing's still really good um through our area. We've I have warmed up enough to where the surface ice and stuff like that's kind of kind of receded and stuff. You know, and we'll and we'll fish small stuff that's moving slow. Um this time of year we'll fish uh midges, leeches. But we're really trickling into eggs and worms. Um, as soon as we start getting some water temps up in that upper 30s, slow swinging, you know, swinging's pretty popular nowadays because it is a pretty big river down there. Um, you know, so swinging um, shallow, small streamers and stuff like that. And then that'll kind of go into a river bump up. Um, and we, you know, we'll start seeing some flow coming out of there. Maybe it'll get up to two or three thousand which is about when you can put drift boats on it um and that'll roll until about memorial day during that time we'll we'll be looking for spawning rainbows um fish eating some streamers and the smallmouth will really start defending their they'll start staging up uh, pre-spawn get pretty active and then start bedding in may um in early june and then gosh we're lucky and the river doesn't get too big then we start throwing a few poppers and stuff at them in um july slows down quite a bit after that on the smallmouth the trout of course have always been kind of going during that same time i've talked about 
harp really going um gosh what do you think brandon what are we active carp feeding what temp do we need another week another week for sure but i mean it's definitely going on and so there's a lot of fish down there that are spawning we'll start seeing spawning fish from now until gosh memorial day maybe um and you know we don't really necessarily really focus and target them but you just have a lot more fish activity um you know the carp thing will go really good up until june um, and then what we start doing late summer is we kind of get a little period where the agriculture water is really pushing um, the rivers, you know, pretty big and whatnot like that. And fish will kind of clamp up and then we'll kind of wait a little bit for fish to be looking for cold water. You know, by a year like last year that we had pretty low snowpack early on, there's so many springs that pour out down below that. Um, that you'll start seeing fish going to cooler water, you know, gotcha. almost all the way into October. And this is in like the below American Falls section? Yep. Yeah. I'm just pretty much talking just about that. Just Above Lake Walcott? Yep. Yeah, yeah. I mean, you know, we probably need another two hours if we start expanding. But Yeah. Yeah. Let's stay in that. Let's stay in the range. We'll stay in the range close, closest sure. to, yeah. Good. You know, and then, and then we'll start seeing um, some pretty good activity in that cold water stuff um until until it starts cooling down then you get a pretty good little period of smallmouth um getting ready for winter um there's low and lethargic and whatnot but the carp definitely start packing on pounds and i mean we've had some days carp fishing down on these big basalt flats that you know it's 200 yards of two foot deep clear water with carp tipping up on them and, and you can wait it because it's basalt and it's pretty fun. Nice. Yeah, and there are a good. few browns in the system, you know, oh, yeah. so we'll get a little activity down there, you know, going into October. Okay. And then November uh, goes straight to tailwater fishery, you know, small stuff, nymphing, all that stuff. Some of the best fishing comes after that water drop um, in October up until it gets real cold. Gotcha. Well, there's, you know, again, more, more good questions coming up here, but, you know, let's go to the swinging. I, got, I don't want to miss that one again here, but what does that look like? You know, you're talking about swinging flies. This is it kind of just like trout space stuff or what do you use? And this is in that same area, swinging for trout? Yeah, right now, I mean, one of our good customers uh, did some swinging today, swinging soft tackles. Mm-hmm. They're, swinging, they're swinging, and it's an odd fishery. You don't really match the hatch so much down there as you try to just uh, show them a food source. Um, that type of thing, but he was swinging. What was he swinging? March Brown soft tackles, 14s, and there's no March Browns down there, right? You know, yeah, but and that was with probably what a five or six Brandon, yeah. yep, trout spay, yeah. So, you know, we'll swing anything, um, down there. There's it's broad water, it's slow, it's a great place actually to uh learn how to throw a two hander. We've had couple different i think clinics down there with klaus from loop oh yeah yeah with klaus, Seymour. Yep. He, he's awesome oh yeah klaus is, klaus <laughs> he's, is awesome he's a dandy for yeah, sure he's, he's one of the good guys yeah gosh if it wasn't for him i think i'd have broke my two-hander in half three times oh yeah yeah he's, he's with uh what, what's his what's his is he's with loop right i think loop yeah yeah yeah, yeah but yeah. he's awesome and so that we'll go do that small stuff in the fall right when it stops you know i'll swing some bigger stuff for sure even up into some gallop stuff you know some um monkeys and stuff like that when the when the bait fish oh yeah so you're swinging some bigger stuff 
Mm -hmm. Yep, you bet. It's a great place to swing. It's a good place to learn how to swing because if, if, if you've been in the West, I get, or, well, not just the West, but southeastern Idaho, northern Utah, we have a lot of basalt canyons, shallow canyons. And what that river is down there is basically running down one of those basalt canyons. So you have a lot of flat stuff on top, and then you'll have a crevasse, if you will. Um, of Sometimes it's five feet deep, you know, as far as you could cast, um, but moving pretty slow. Maybe it's, you know, maybe you're only, you know, even though it's five feet deep and, and you got to throw a 40-footer to get across it, you might not ever hang up with a dry line and a, and a small clouser or something. Oh, because these are like slots they're, the fish are holding in down in the yeah, middle of the slot. Yeah, totally. So, so it's really actually set up great for swinging, and I think we haven't really messed with it too much. But in the summer months when that water starts getting up into that 10,000, there's a lot of inside turns, gravel bars you could get on and really take advantage of the swing doing that. We just haven't had the time to really mess with it yet. Sure. So yeah, some of those areas where the water, you hit the turn and it's slow, the, just the right flow, not too fast. And, and you're right. just swinging, just downstream and across, just kind of like swinging for steelhead sort of thing. Totally. Yep. Totally. hundred percent. You know, and we, we have a lot of leeches. Um, there used to be a really large population of perch. Um, there's still quite a few of them, but, but there's still a lot of um, golden shiner stuff like that and a lot of crayfish. So, mm -hmm. pretty, you know, a lot of the stuff that you would swing um, works great. Today's episode is sponsored by Eastern Idaho's Yellowstone Teton Territory, Idaho's most renowned zone for fly fishing from the Henry's Fork to the South Fork of the Snake and all the high alpine lakes and streams in between. Yellowstone Teton Territory provides anglers and other outdoor enthusiasts with all the information they need to plan their next big trip. You can visit wetflyswing.com slash Teton right now to get the full list of outfitters, lodges, fly shops, and all kinds of inspiration to get you started on your next trip to Eastern Idaho. That's Teton, T-E-T-O-N, wetflyswing.com slash Teton. Well, let's dig into uh, let's dig into bass a little bit, and we're talking uh, smallmouth, right? That's that's the focus here for you guys, right? Yep. Yeah. So we've done you know a number of episodes, actually a lot in the Midwest. We've had a lot of smallmouth episodes talking about all that over there, and we haven't done a ton out here. So this will be good to talk, you know, hear about how you guys do it. So let's right. just dig into that. When, when does so you just mentioned it, but when does that? When do you start getting ready for smallmouth? You know, we're kind of starting to gear up now. It's all weather dependent and seasonal, but. Um, you know, last year, I think third week of March, Brandon and I um, had a pretty dang good day, you know, fishing real low and slow. Um, and, and we'll typically fish six, seven weights. Um, yeah, I think that both of us are fishing an SA Titan, you know, short tip. Um, and we'll fish some weighted bugs and we just crawl them back, uh, moving slow, covering ground. You get a lot of ledges down here because of that basalt. Um, and if you know where those ledges are, um, you can do pretty good. Uh, but as Westerners, we've had to kind of learn how to catch them. Um, you know, it's a whole, it's like your first time tarpon fishing when you, you feel like an idiot and you just want to get off the boat because you've been trout setting all day. It's taken us quite a while to learn to slow it down and, and make sure we strip set them. All right. So that's the biggest thing. Yeah, so we'll really start getting going. Hopefully, if the weather breaks, looks like we're in for at least another couple of weeks of 
of, of snow, thank goodness. But, um, you know, by, by April, we'll be down chasing some pre-spawn fish and we'll start putting boats in down there as soon as the water gets, you know, up above 3,000. Um, so it's a little easier to float it. You got a three-mile stretch um, and then another access down another couple miles. Below that gets a little gnarly. There's a couple waterfalls and stuff. Um, but that's plenty of water to, to have all the fun you ever want to have. And, you know, then we'll go until it really starts getting big. Memorial Day is kind of usually when you can count on that river getting big. But when it gets that big, 2,500 or so, on that top half mile, it's a four bay. And you literally can, you know, row a drip boat upstream a little bit and straight across. And you can take out at the same boat ramp. Oh, and wow. when it gets like that and then the water's pushed all the way up into like vegetation is when it really gets fun. Oh, no and, kidding. And that's when you get a lot of those fish that are, you know, right up there tucked under the bank, under the brush and, you know, a, a good shiny clouser, um, that kind of thing. Very visual um, and a lot of fun until the water gets hot and they slow down. Okay. And that happens, what, in July? Yeah, typically in July. You know, we're just barely figuring it out, too. I mean, you know, the folks that you've been talking to, we try to follow those guys over there as well in the Midwest because this is a kind of a only a decade-long thing for us. You know, so we're learning a little bit as we go. That's pretty cool. Yeah, it's it's cool how it goes, you know, around the country when, you know, because we kind of talk to everybody, right, all around the country and it goes back and forth, right? It's like it's like the Kelly Gobb thing, you know, I mean, started in the Midwest and then I just talked to John Bond and he was over, he's in Norway now, right, at his right. lodge, but he talked about how he was, you know, I mean, he's in your, just right up there too, right? And, and everybody's influencing everybody. And so it's not like, hey, you know, anybody's hiding. It doesn't seem like anybody's really hiding things anymore. Do you guys feel like it's just kind of an open venue? You, you know what I mean? You like learn from everybody? Yeah, you know, I mean, I learned a long time guiding, you know, on the South Fork that it's like, you don't have to keep it a secret because it's going to change tomorrow or the next day, right? So if you just had that like, oh, my God, you guys wouldn't believe how the X-Cat has crushed him all day long today for me it's okay to tell the other guides and stuff that because it'll probably change tomorrow. Mm, and, right. And that's quick. kind of the way that we feel about that stuff. We definitely don't like to, you know, hotspot or anything like yeah, that. Yeah. But, yeah. You know, the worst is, is the person that calls and, you know, asks how the fishing is below the dam. And by the time you're done, he's like, well, how far should my dropper be? And where should I stand? Right. And that takes the fun out of it. Yeah. 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 You know, geez, you at least, I think that's why half of us do this stuff. I know. Is because of the learning curve. But so, yeah, you know, I think five years from now, if we have the same conversation, I, I could probably tell you that we really understand how to catch smallmouth now. But right now, yep. <laughs> we're that's just cool. glad we're getting them. Yeah, you're doing it. What And what are you guys doing for boats? What are your boats out there now? Uh, you know, we do a variety of stuff. I have a Clacklow Pro 16. Mm -hmm. Yep. Um, yeah, it's like my second one. And, and it's just a really great boat for our area. Um, but I also have a Crestliner 16-foot flat bottom with a with a 60 um, jet on it. Mm. Oh, there you go. Yeah, so you can run a jet in that section too? You can. Um, you know, like I said, that top five miles, there's, a, there's a, about six miles, seven miles down. Go, there's a one waterfall called Duck Falls. You can kind of skirt that at high water, but then the next one's called Angel Falls and some 
really good boaters better than me in the past have, have sunk boats and stuff in there. So we just avoid it, you know. And then if you go to Masker Rocks, which is the state park just down below that, from there down to Lake Walcott, it's pretty flat water. Okay. But, but yeah, the sleds work good and a lot of that stuff like that. You definitely want to have experience, you know, with a motorboat. <laughs> with a motor, exactly. Wow. And so... Yeah, like you said, there, there's not, I mean, the difference down here is that you don't have quite the fish per mile, but it sounds like you have plenty of big fish and uh, and maybe not as much pressure. So it seems like maybe in a lot of ways, it might even be better than fish in some of that upper water because right, right, it, right. it can you get know, a little I mean, crazy. Yeah, I mean, I fished a lot of tailwaters, you know, Henry's Fork, South Fork being two big ones. Worked on the Missouri when I was in college, um, been to the San Juan, fished the Madison quite a bit, you know, I mean, as far as tailwaters go, don't quote me, but this might be the best one there is. Hmm. I mean, as far as quality fish, I mean, we're talking big fish in general over here. And, you know, it's on one of the biggest rivers in the country. Right. Yeah. It's not the snake. It doesn't, it's, it's the snake river. You guys call it, is it just the snake when people ask you where you're fishing? Yeah. Just the snake at that point, you know, and, and once you get over to Hager or Twin Falls area, I mean, that's where most of the rainbow trout for the world are raised. <laughs> oh, they are. You know, if you think about that, you're like, oh, okay, wow. there's a double combo there. You've got amazing fish habitat and a big river. That's right. But like I said, it's we're still trying to crack the code too. There's places I haven't even fished that are 40 miles away that I haven't even been into yet. Right, right, right. Are you guys in, are there a few other fly shops around in town and through that section along the highway out there? Not really. Um you know, really, we're the only pro shop in Pocatello. And then um, 50 miles north, Idaho Falls, you got one of the best ever, you know, Jimmy's All-Season Anglers. Oh, yeah, that's Jimmy's. Okay. Yeah, that's that's these. Anyway, yeah. I'm a little, I'm a little um, biased, but Jimmy's shop's amazing. But really nothing. There's a new shop that I think has opened up down in Twin Falls, mm-hmm. but nothing in American Falls or stuff like that. So we probably are your closest, you know, source or whatnot for um fishing that stretch you got it okay well let's let's hear about some of the you you mentioned the fly tying stuff so maybe take us into the shop and talk a little bit about that so are you guys tying i mean do you have everything for whatever whether bass or poppers you kind of cover it all we do uh you know we're always changing but um gosh i think if i had to start it you know we start at the beginning of some of our products i talked about the macrame yarn and you know, talked about the two millimeter foam that we that we've been laminating for years um, with felt product. But gosh, it goes from there. It goes to a lot of body wraps. We oh right, body wraps. Yeah, you know, body wraps weren't really a thing. I remember tying at the Wasatch Expo, gosh, probably ten years ago, and there was a little company called Goat Head Gear that did spikes for boots, but they also had this wacky stuff from like Joanne's fabric that was tinsel hackle, right? That was like polar chenille. And I think at that demo, I tied with just, just that stuff. I was sitting with Gary Barnes from Semper Fly and we just started screwing around with it. And so that kind of perked our interest. And I think we have 40 colors now. Oh, wow. And this is the body wrap. This is the body wrap, the hydro hackle. And, you know, and it's, it's pretty popular now. There's, three or four other companies that are definitely doing it and it's the same thing what would it be used um, for what 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 sort of patterns would, would you be using the body wrap 
so what we really like it for is like, let's say you're tying a bugger or, you know, you're tying um, a peanut or something like that. You versus putting down chenille and then wrapping hackle or schlopping, you know, this is a one wrap deal. It has the fibers sticking out of it plus the core. And so we do, we do a SRF hydro bugger that, that fishes great and we use it in substitute for that kind of thing um instead of using you know a body and then a fiber to palmer through it this is a one-stop shop and like so i think we have in 40 colors or something um we do a lot of other stuff we ripple ice fiber is a fantastic material um carried by hairline we accidentally stumbled onto it I don't know, half a dozen years ago, we ordered the wrong product and it showed up and it was more like five inches long and a little stiffer than um, Ripple Fiber. And we were bummed when we got it, but then we started tying clousers with it. And now we have, I think, 16, 16 colors of it, you know? Um, so that's a pretty cool one too. And then I remember one night when I was, I remember seeing a Marabou, um, dubbing out there i can't recall who it was from might even it may have been fly fishing right and and it was just a little teeny bit of marabou with like you know some ice and i was like well that is not what you really want so i remember sitting in the shop one night i was all by myself and i started just cutting fibers off of the stem of marabou into a big jug and then i threw some of our solar flash which is a straight uh ice dub into it and i blended it and i remember calling brandon i said you got to get down to the shop now and so <laughs> that started zero g where we were doing a lot more marabou full length to a little bit of flash and that's probably is that our number one seller that or crinkles on we sell them both but nowadays we're really working on a lot of different stuff Brandon and these guys have really been into the muskie and they've been trying to me around and, and trying to get me a muskie. So, you know, we have a new fiber. We're going to launch uh, in the next two couple weeks. Fish Wisp, which is really similar to a slinky fiber, but we're going to sell it for less and we got it in a zillion colors. And wow. um, we also make a dubbing that has some, um, it's like a seal sub, long seal sub that has some acrylic fibers in it that we call grease uh, leech dubbing we have a lot of leeches around here so we do a lot of different leech stuff right do you guys do the still water is that is that popular around there lakes and all that yeah we do have we have some really awesome still water all the way around us but like i said even that even that snake river we kind of jokingly call it moving still water yeah it is kind of right during mm -hmm. the right yeah. yeah so leeches work really well we have a ton of mohairs. Um, we tried to do our own hooks. We we finally got some decent ones, but then we just partnered up recently with Matsu, M-A-S-U, and their hooks are fantastic. And so we've been about two months, three months into the Matsu hook and and really enjoying their products. So Nice. Nice. Yeah, you guys have a lot going. So, I mean, how many materials? sounds like like a lot of your stuff is your own stuff. Do you guys have, is it a majority of the materials you guys have, your own kind of creations? Yeah, I'd say probably a 50-50 in our shop. We, we definitely love our friends at Hairline, and, and, you know, we carry a lot of Semper stuff as well. Um, but, yeah, 
you know, if we can, if we can source it, um, absolutely, we do it. Nice. So that's it. And pretty much, I mean, yeah, it sounds like bass, uh, you know, trout. I mean, you guys are, what do you think when you look at throughout the year? Yeah, it sounds like you get fired up with everything, but is there one time of year that you really get excited for? Is that a hard one to, to say? Yeah, definitely, for sure. I mean, if I'm talking just our river down here, I mean, obviously, I mean, if we're talking Henry's Fork and South Fork, we're really blessed to live where we do. It's an hour trip to two of the best rivers, you know, arguably out there. Um, but in our area, you know, myself, I really like that pre-spawn smallmouth, um, which is coming up. You coming know, up. I really like that because they're aggressive. They're not pinned on a bed. Um, and and it's tough. It's not super easy, you know. But gosh, a five-pound smallmouth, Jeez. you know, kind of makes a 26-inch brown trout look a little wussy does it roy <laughs> they're tough man they're yeah. definitely tough and 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 i appreciate it all but yeah i'm, I'm a fair weather guy nowadays so hey mm-hmm. there you go i like fishing you know from weather's getting better yep when the weather's better yeah that's not that's awesome and and what does that look like if we were going to get somebody prepared for that what should they be thinking about like as far as flies what would you give them if they're getting ready in the next you know this month what should they have in their box well, you know, they definitely should should have, you know, a six or seven weight with and probably a dry line and having a short sink, um, fairly aggressive three or above. And they should look at having, you know, if, if it's, you're talking flies that are just out there and available, a near enough sculpin in a couple different colors would be good. Uh, clousers in white, white and chartreuse, uh, perch colored would be great. Our crinkles on clouser. Um, buggers in two or three different sizes, everything roughly size four. We don't go really crazy big. And then some specialized stuff if they want. There's some really amazing bass bugs out there. We personally do uh, the tube sock sculpin, um, which is a synthetic rabbit that Brandon came up with. It's amazing. Um, Got tarpon on that one too. And then uh, the bass beetle the, that I came up with. It's kind of a traditional, um, if you will, uh, hardware bass beetle. You know, so it's got rubber legs out both sides on the back, synthetic two-tone body with synthetic rabbit. Those work really good. You definitely want something with clouser eyes, and you're gonna crawl. You're gonna crawl it and keep a tight line. A crawl. And so, what is that? So, if we're on the water, you come to an area. You know what does that look like? It sounds like you're you're on the basalt, so you're finding slots where you think fish are holding. But also, you said once the water gets higher, they're they're spreading out into the vegetation. Right, right. You know, so um, if you you know maybe streamer fish the Madison, streamer fish the South Fork, the Henry's Fork, or or the Missouri, and you're casting a fly into the bank, indestructible. Right. You know, allowing that thing to sink as much as you can without snagging up. You know, and then varying your retrieve as it comes off. The small amount around here, um, they like to eat it on the drop. You know, so you really don't necessarily get that trout uh, tug is the drug thing. Your fly might just disappear. You just feel a little bit of something weird. But um, as you're moving along those ledges, you can see that ledge. And so you have a pretty good idea where it's going to happen. Right. Yeah, they're, they're in. They're down in. So these fish are down in the re- just like the trout will be. They're down in these slots. Yep, setting off those ledges, you know, think about a staircase, yeah. you know, from, from bank to center on both sides. 
Right. So you're just dropping the fly. You're basically just kind of sliding it off the ledge and just right in their wheelhouse. Just they're just sitting there. Exactly. Exactly. Those amp push points, you know. That's cool. That's cool. Yeah, it's interesting. Again, I think back to the episodes, you know, George Cook we had on, he was talking about Chinook fishing up on the Connect Talk and stuff. And he was he called it the pillow water. He was like, you know, you gotta go to the pillow water, right? Not Copy. not in the deep right now i mean is it is it pillow water there it seems like it's a little bit yeah. slower yeah yes, totally yeah yeah totally makes sense you know what i mean i mean if you were a fish where would you be yeah right <laughs> exactly yeah you're not going to be in the tank you're going to be in the soft whatever setting out getting a sunburn you know or, or or hiding from food but no there's so much to learn you know that's the cool part yeah Good, good. So, okay, so we got some flies here. We got the the gear is pretty, like you said, the sink three or five or something like that is good enough just to get down. You don't need to be dredging the bottom for smallmouth. No, no. I mean, typically they're going to be a little bit more structure oriented. You know, I mean, I'm not saying that you couldn't just swing it out into the the abyss. You know, and definitely catch fish, but but you're going to have a lot more fun. You know, trying to pick them off. Yeah, pick them up. And then as it spreads out into the vegetation, is it a similar thing? Like you said, just casting towards the bank into the weeds and just kind of letting yep. it stay above and, and doing your strip or whatever? For sure. You know, the better the cast, usually the better the bass. Okay, good. And are you doing any swinging for smallmouth? You know, we're, we've caught fish doing that, but but we haven't targeted them that way yet. But mm -hmm. I bet it would be really good on some of the, some of the places that we have down here. Um, you could probably really pick up some numbers. Yeah, that, that was the one thing John uh, Bond, I, I noted, he said in that episode, he was talking about how with his streamer stuff, you know, he started doing, I, I think his fly was like the dragon. I think one of his flies is the dragon. He was talking about how, yeah, he was just, you know, casting it out and then putting a bend in it and letting the, the current basically swing the fly across fast. Sure. You know what I mean? Instead of doing the, the casting and stripping like everybody does, you hear everybody do, he was like, hey, this is this just worked for me. And that's what he does. But again, right, there's all sorts of ways to do it. There's no, that's the cool thing. Yeah, you don't have to do it like everybody else is doing it, you know? I mean, you just don't. Yeah, nice. Well, it, I mean, uh, you got Brandon there, so I, I don't want to leave the carp on the table. Maybe we could, uh, do you want to just talk carp a little bit as we kind of start to think about wrapping this up here? Yeah, I'd love to. Is it cool if we just kind of yeah. uh, pass yeah. it over to him? Yeah, bring Brandon in here. Let, let's, let's do the, we might actually do a follow-up episode because we probably won't be able to do it justice here. But uh, yeah, let's get Brandon on here. Yeah, he can get into it. Cool. Well, hey, man, I appreciate it. I'm going to yeah. turn you over to Brandon. Yeah, thanks, Larry. You bet, Dave. All right. What's going on, my man? Hey, man, this is good. This is this is like I uh, wasn't planning. You know, I didn't know how this was going to go. Again, this is why the, the podcast is great, because we're getting two for the price of one. Yep, I love it. Nice. So... So yeah, and uh, you know, you obviously know the carp. So let's let's dig into it real quick. Maybe first, we're not going to go deep into all your background. I think maybe we'll hold. We'll get you back on for another episode. Um, but you've great. been. We heard a little bit there about your story. Let's just dig into carp. So talk about that. If somebody's thinking about carp, what time? When should they be thinking about this again? Just remind us there. Well, I mean, like the beauty about carp in our neck of the woods is, I mean, you could do it three sixty five if you really wanted to, but. The big thing, probably starting like end of May, June rolls around, water temps are, are big on that. I don't have an exact water temp. I mean, you definitely want it, things to warm up, but cool thing, you know, they call them the, what, the bonefish of the West, tarpon, all that kind of stuff. Um, you know, once those flats start heating up, those fish will start getting moving, but we have a like a weird thing like memorial weekend we have the the johnny boyd carp tournament that goes on on blackfoot reservoir every year right it's a great cause it's fun but the hard part about it is those fish are usually like mid like right in the middle of the spawn 
if there's one fish on the planet that you can't catch during the spawn, like legitimately, it's a carp. Oh, it is. And when is that? When's the spawn? It generally, like for us, it's in that May, June, like early June, pretty much all of May time frame. They're okay. pretty heavy into it, but they can spawn up to twice, like twice a year. Part of the reason we can't get rid of them, um, which is okay. Um, but really if a guy were to come out like in our neck of the woods, like mid June through most of July, you have some really awesome opportunities, whether you're fishing, you know, Blackfoot, you know, the American falls reservoir below American falls dam. Um, and then even, you know, later in the year, you kind of get some, some dirty water, uh, in that August time frame. but September and October can be really good too. You know, if, if okay. weather permits. Yeah, yeah. And, and what is your, just talk a little bit briefly about kind of maybe some flies and gear. What are you using for them there? You know, fish a lot of leeches, similar, you know, carp are very opportunistic. They're going to take every opportunity that a trout, a bass, a sturgeon, you know, whatever's living there, whatever the food is, they're going to eat it too. Um, and so like Larry touched on, we have a lot of leeches, a lot of crawdads, um, you know, honestly, a tan mop fly will catch more carp than you know what to do with. Whether okay, you there you go dabbing it i mean it flat out fish perfect love it love it the moth fly okay and and so why is in the carp i mean they just so they're out there in the same areas throughout the year that you're going to find the, the rainbows and the and the bass yeah i mean just i guess if we're just talking american falls you know river and the reservoir in itself i mean you could be fishing an indicator setup down there with a balance leech under it every cast you make i mean every hookup it could be a rainbow it could be a sucker it could be a chub oh, wow. fish yeah. carp i mean you don't know it, it's it's endless they're all hanging out in the same thing because when that water gets low like this time of year at aquarium effects but even in the summer months when you do have all that water you know they'll spread out a little bit um but they're all hanging in the same stuff eating the same things but the cool thing is when you know that flow gets up to that eight ten thousand plus a lot of the flats that are dry for most of the year you get that kind of somewhat saltwater experience a lot of sight fishing dabbing fish stocking fish casting you know distance you, you get a good good feel for all of it oh right 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 so same thing just like the bass so as the water spreads out now these fish are out there kind of like on the flats yep the carp and the bass will you know they'll hang in similar areas um the trout will definitely in the summer months it gets harder to catch those trout and that's why we kind of switch gears and really start targeting the bass and the carp down there Perfect. So that's the perfect transition. So when things warm yep. up, it's like, all right, put the, the uh, trout on the back burner until the fall and then just yep. go for a carp. And... You've got the seven and the eight weights broke out and you're ready to rock and roll. Oh, sounds great. And are you guys doing this? Is this, you're just kind of a walk in wading or are you still doing the boat thing? You know, definitely utilizing the boats. Um, it's cool in the aspect of a lot of the flats that are down there. Like there's a couple flats down on the lower section of the river, I guess in that top three miles um where you'll go rolling in and you can park the boat and hop out and you have a, a hundred to 200 yards of knee deep water that's i mean perfect sandy bottom not squishy you're not going to sink into it that you could you know sight fish carp and then cast out into the deep rocky pockets and there's small mouth on the other side of you so it's, nice. it's pretty cool that way nice what's one of your like again you know somebody's kind of new to the carp and they're going out there what, what would be a tip you'd give somebody if they're kind of hidden out and they haven't really done it much of it you know definitely my biggest tip with that is the thing with carp is blind casting for them is is never a good idea you can you can spend all day just cast into the abyss so spooking I mean, fish and stuff like that exactly so taking the time to you know when you 
say you got a tip or you, you've seen fish there before, sit on the bank, take, you know, 10, 15 minutes to just sit there and just watch. You see a fish roll, you see a tail, maybe some nervous water and just kind of absorb all that information. Cause a lot of it is, you know, sight fishing, you know, I'd say, you know, 65% of the fish that I actually hook up with and catch are within a rod length of me, you mm. know, wow. it's very up close and personal. And so taking the time, taking it slow and you might spend all day and only catch six fish, but all of those fish were, I mean, right underneath your rod tip when you did it. Oh, wow. So if you, if you're out there, you're sitting back for 10 minutes or whatever, and you see yeah. some stuff going on, you, you see a carp, you make your cast, let's say, take us there. What, what does that look like? Like, you know, like say, let's talk, you know, that, that the pipeline boat ramp, for instance, you walk out, there's, the, you know, a pretty good little flat right there. You can walk out on, it's got a whole bunch of different stuff. You're, you're walking up that deal. You got cattails on one side of you on the bank side and it's deep water on the other side. You could have fish cruising either way. And I mean, I've been walking that, you know, taking itty bitty little steps, really slow, working it up, just waiting, watching. And next thing you know, you got fish on either side of you. You can either make your cast out to the bigger fish that's there. Or maybe you got the, the six pound fish that's, you know, tucked in the cattails. And if you hook him, you know, who knows if you're going to land because he's going to get buried in all of it. Oh, right. Mayhem. Yeah. So you make that cat and what would be a fly? What would be one fly for carp that you'd be, be tossing out there? You know, I just did. I mean, I guess just one little shout out to like our YouTube channel here. Yeah. But, oh yeah. The uh, snake river fly. You can look that up. I just did a tutorial a couple of weeks ago on the baby JJ. Oh, perfect. JJ special is, uh, you know, a, a streamer pattern that was born here in Idaho. And there's probably been more trout, bass, carp caught on that thing than anything else. Great. Um, great. Just a yellow rubber legged brown and yellow marabou streamer and when i i first found that fished it a ton and then just sized the whole platform down just into a carp snack in a sense and i, I catch a ton of fish on that through the portniff through i mean anywhere that there's carp and there's crawdads they they eat it up pretty good so the baby jj yeah i'm glad you mentioned that because i want to talk about resources so that's so you guys have a lot of the stuff we've talked about some patterns you have over there Yep. I was going to say like patterns in shop and then, uh, you know, like Larry touched and when we talked about, uh, you know, materials, uh, that we're doing here, a lot of our stuff on YouTube is, you know, based around our materials, whether it's, you know, new patterns or, you know, putting our materials into classic patterns just with a new vision, uh, it shows everybody how to use them, work with them and that kind of stuff. And we got probably a hundred, I think a little over a hundred tutorials right now. So. Right. On. And is the baby JJ, what does that describe that pattern a little bit? What, what is that thing? Oh, I mean, it's super simple. It's like number 10, number eight, real short shank hook, real heavy wire with a wide gap. Um, the one that I tied one has a tungsten bead, but anytime you're fishing for carp, you want to make sure you got the same pattern in unweighted, a lightweight and a heavyweight, at least two or three of each. Cause you never know your situation. Um, it's got a like brown marabou tail, olive body, and then uh, two little, rubber legs coming out each side in yellow there you go and it's we cut a ton of fish on that right right so it's kind of a yeah it's like a it's i mean like a lot of these patterns right it could look like a leech or a bugger or something yep. like that but it's got it. and that's kind of the thing like not even just in carp flies but a lot of our patterns you know I, at least in my box i like having flies that cover a lot of bases instead of very specific Right. So that fly, could you also catch smallmouth on that fly? I've uh, been there, done that. Yeah. Smallmouth, trout, even trout, right. Trout. I mean, my cart box is always with me. 
even in the cold months. And I mean, it's it's equated for a lot of the travel I got to, you know, those tight spots. What uh, what makes a good carp fly? You know, uh, the biggest thing. I wouldn't say it's just one thing. Like I just touched on, having flies in various weights is oh, weights, right? Is huge, you know, because I mean, you could have fish that are, you know, let's say here's a situation: you got a a flat that's got five foot of water over it. It's a hundred yards long. You're going to have fish that are tailing and feeding on the bottom, and maybe you got a little bit of current, so you need a fly that's got some weight that's going to get down a little bit quicker and get in their feed zone. Also, you're going to have fish that are cruising, you know, and they might be halfway down in the column or they might be up top and you might have fish that are super spooky. So having a, you know, if you had just like a black and red, like semi-sail leech, you got the J, the baby JJ, all of those, you know, backstabbers, classic carp bugs like that in various weights and whatnot and colors that match your forage it's just going to make you that much more successful um just because you never know where those fish are going to be hanging you know i mean we even have situations you know later in the year on the reservoir like august and september where we're catching them on you know mid-sized chernobyl ants because they're feeding on stuff on the surface all the algae scum and stuff right 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 cool and then and when you see that carp you make that cast what, what, what's your first um action after you, you drop the fly near it you know, where it is so visual, um, it, it kind of depends on, you know, clarity and whatnot. But I mean, making the cast, you got, you know, your average dinner plate size, you know, feed pocket in front of them. Their eyesight isn't the best. It's a lot of feel and it's a lot of scent, uh, you know, based feed. And that's one of the reasons it's so hard to catch carp, you know, All on right. synthetic yep. flies. So they're not, their sight isn't as good as a bass or a trout. Nope. Uh, you know, bass are very visual feeders. So are trout. You know, if we were trout, we'd have dinner plate sized eyeballs on the side of our heads and we could see everything. Carp, on the other hand, rely very heavily on, you know, lateral line. And then, you know, I remember there, watch some, some dude, they like the carp scientist, I think is what they called him. He's some dude over in England. And apparently, like, I guess the science behind it, carp have more or less taste buds from the tip of their nose to their all the way up their face to their pec fins. I mean, they're very keyed in on, you know, scent, all of that movement, that kind of jazz, like the vibration. Gotcha. And that's why one of the reasons they're so spooky too, is they, yeah. can, you know, you walk. they can feel it all. So you gotta, so you gotta be subtle. You gotta make a good cast to drop it in yep. there so you don't spook it, but then the you don't want to, yeah. Why you want to have some unweighted or mid-weighted flies too. Cause I mean, you could have a pot of fish and they, if you spook one and there's 10 on the flat within, you know, their range, they're going to let everybody know that you're, you're creeping around and, and trying to stick them in. Yeah, the that's cool. <laughs> gonna... That's right. So you're out there, you're just in stealth mode. I mean, that's it. Yep. It's, it's really fun that way. Nice. All right. Well, I think, um, yeah, like I said, maybe we'll leave more, uh, more of the carp talk till our next one, if we can put something together with you. Um, so yeah, I guess, uh, looking ahead, I mean, Larry mentioned this, but I guess if you look, you guys look out the next few months into the summer, are you getting excited? I mean, what is it for you? What's the one, is it, is it carp for you? Is that the one species? Yeah. Carp is definitely, you know, I, I love catching trout. I grew up in Pocatello, born and raised here my whole life. Um, and you know, fished it all um in our neck of the woods and like the trout thing's always exciting the steelhead thing you know that's going on right now like oh that's really cool but the carp thing probably for the last 10 years is where i'm really starting to get jonesed uh, and as we creep into that end of april into may things start warming up that's when it gets real exciting so perfect so larry you how long have you been working there in the shop uh i think i've been down here 
mean, pretty much since the beginning. I mean, like, I think 2016 is when they when Larry opened this location, and I, you know, met him through ISU. Uh, started wise, you know, for the shop, kind of part time. Started doing a few things, and then I mean, pretty much since the the very beginning of all of it. So I get 2016, 2017, been involved with it. Yeah, you've been going. And has there been? I mean, have you? What is you know? Has there been something you've really learned from Larry, or has this kind of been a back and forth from both of you guys? Tons that I've learned from Larry, and like just like fishing, fly tying, all of that. But it's been really fun to be able to kind of bounce off. You know, we we both have the the you know the creative mindset where we're not real satisfied with you know one bug or you know, we'll tie one fly and then I'll, you know, we'll take it out and fish it. And then both of us will tinker on it. And then it, uh, you know, the final product. So it, it's pretty cool that way. Perfect. All right, Brandon. Well, I mean, give us a heads up. What, what your last name? We didn't catch that. Uh, Morrison. Morrison, Brandon Morrison. Okay, perfect. Perfect. Well, we'll uh, I'll send everybody out. Like we said at the start, we'll, uh, we'll head over to, uh, well, you, you can give us a shout out. Where's the best place to go if we want to learn more and dig deeper into this? Uh, you know, I mean, snakeriverfly.com. I mean, we got a, we got a ton of stuff on there, materials, you know, tons of blog stuff, our YouTube channel, which you can find just by searching snake river fly. And then also like our Instagram page, also just snake river fly. Um, you know, if you guys are messaging us on any of those, you're either going to be talking to me or Larry, but I mean, we're usually back to you within, you know, a couple hours. So perfect. And tell us as we, as we get out here, that part of, uh, you know, Idaho, what, why is it such a cool place to live? I mean, there's a lot of amazing, obviously the resources and stuff like that, but what, what do you love about living out in that part of the world? You know, I've had, uh, you know, a lot of opportunities, you know, I got a bunch of family down in like Phoenix, um, done the carp thing down, super cool. Um, my, my wife's got a ton of family in Nebraska, been over there fishing and whatnot. But I think the thing that I love about, you know, our Southeast Idaho just in general is it's growing just fast enough. Um, it's not, you know, too crazy big, like some of our neighboring cities, but like the hub aspect of, you know, Pocatello where I hop on the interstate and any direction I drive an hour, hour and a half, I can there. the West's best. That's right. Yeah. It's not quite. And I guess the neighboring cities would be like Boise, right? Boise is one that's definitely growing fast. Yep. I mean, they're growing big, but it's just really cool to have, you know, still kind of the quiet town aspect of it with, you know, a ton of awesome outdoor resource. If you love being outside, whether it's hunting, fishing, hiking, biking, you name it, it's You got it all. And how far do you have to go west before you leave eastern Idaho, would you say? Um, I would say... Twin Falls? Yeah. still... You say Twin Falls is when you start it's kind hitting. of central, yeah. Yep. Twin Falls is now you're you're on the west side of the state, so pretty much everything east of uh, yeah, and that's what we talked about today. I mean, we talked about American Falls down to um, you know essentially Twin Falls. I mean, you, we didn't dig into all that, but you guys could probably fish all that river right all the way down there. Yep, yep. And I mean, we have that's one thing too that's kind of cool about it. You know, like Larry said, born and raised Idaho Falls, that kind of stuff. Me here in Pocatello this whole time, and I mean, even like just branching out, there's so much packed into our little neck of the woods that we've only kind of taken the top off of a few things. You know, some of the more well-known stuff around like the Hagerman area and whatnot. Um, you know, I guess that direction, fishing-wise. So I mean, it's endless. It's it's really cool. Snake is very big. <laughs> it's a cool area. Yeah, I was just while well, we were up. I mean, Craters of the Moon, right? It's just north of you guys across that we were. Last time we went through there, we stopped and camped a night up there. And I mean, yeah, it's a, it's amazing, right? It's all, I mean, built on the volcanic, right? Activity, the whole, the whole thing. It's crazy cool. And I mean, it, you could even get into the, like the, the, the Bonneville flood, the Missoula flood. I mean, there's, 
Oh yeah, that w- ripped right through there, didn't it? Yep. And like, uh, I guess one one thing, like if you ever put a boat in at Massacre Rocks and you drive, you know, motor upstream towards Eagle Rock, you can actually see the sediment lines in the cliff walls through one of those sections from oh, the wow and the Missoula flood, like oh, like hundreds of feet up. Yep, it's it's super cool in that aspect. I mean, even like just that, the geology and the history aspect of it too. There's yeah, just- nice. Nice. Well, that's good. Well, maybe we'll dig in more on the, the some of the other stuff you guys have going on the next one. I have lots of other questions for you, but uh, I think we'll leave it there, Brandon. And uh, definitely want to thank you for your time today and let Larry know, uh, you know, we appreciate him as well. And we'll be in touch. So thanks again for all the time. No, but sounds awesome. We really appreciate the opportunity uh, to be able to chat with you, my man. Snake River Fly on Travel, part of the Wet Fly Swing Podcast and Swing Outdoors. This podcast is supported by Eastern Idaho's Yellowstone Teton Territory. You can support this podcast in Eastern Idaho by heading over to wetflyswing.com slash Teton right now. And you can let uh, check out some of the brands and companies that are on that website. And you can let them know you found them through this website. Don't forget to check in with me if you have an area you'd like us to uh, follow up with around the country. If you'd like us to dig deep into a specific part, maybe something you're planning on heading out to, maybe an area, you can send me a message anytime. Dave at wetflyswing.com and just put school in the subject line. We just closed the Stillwater giveaway uh, last week, but you can grab a slot if you want to check out right now, see if we have anything available. Uh, my guess is we're probably getting close to wrapping this thing up. Wetflyswing.com slash trips, T-R-I-P-S, to find out if you can jump on. Just enter your name and email, and we'll follow up with you um, as soon as we get that. All right, I'm going to run on and get on to the next one. I hope you enjoyed this episode of Travel, and I hope you have a chance to head to eastern Idaho and check in with all the great companies, fishing, uh, shops, and uh, and just the great area that this that makes this part of the world so unique. Excited to see you on travel. Have a great day.